Welcome to this week's sermon at New City Fellowship. Followers of Jesus are a people of the book who root deep in God's word. Let's root deep and grow through engaging Holy Scripture. We are continuing our series in the Apostles' Creed, and we're kind of jumping around to different phrases we've talked about, I believe. I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. And today we're going to be talking about this specific phrase that comes from the Apostles' Creed, which is, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. The Apostles' Creed is this ancient statement of faith that isn't meant to replace the Bible, but rather to reflect what the Bible teaches. And early Christians, uh, maybe, maybe as early as like the second century, said this creed as a way to summarize what the Bible taught about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to focus on Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And we're going to be jumping around in Scripture. We're going to start with Psalm 2, and then we're going to look at some of the Gospels and even in Romans Um, And I want you to kind of look as we read and see if you see any things that are repetitive as we explore the scriptures. This is God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, so now the king is talking. He said, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, kings of the earth, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Matthew 3. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 16. But you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Matthew 17, he, that's Jesus, was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Suddenly, a bright light covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came, touched them, and said, get up, don't be afraid. Mark 15, a scene from the cross. When the centurion who was standing opposite Jesus saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Romans 1, verse 4, and Jesus was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And our last scripture comes from after the resurrection when doubting Thomas said he would not believe unless he saw Jesus. Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The word of God. I don't know if you've ever asked somebody, who do you think you are? You can tell by the tone what I mean by that. Like, who do you think you are? Come on, man, come on. Uh, Several months ago, on a Tuesday night, I was at the dojo that I'm part of. Some of the guys here in the church are also part of that dojo. And um, a new guy came and was there warming up, trying to decide if he wanted to join the dojo. And this guy was younger than me. He was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. And he had more skill than I did. And the moment I realized that he had more skill than I did was when he was sort of working out on his own. And we have these dummy mannequins that we practice, you know, punching and kicking. And he kind of ran up to one, leaped in the air, turned around in the air, and with his leg did this jumping spin kick kicked the mannequin in the head and knocked it flat over. And I've never seen anybody knock one of those dummy mannequins over. And at that point I said, well, he might have a few more skills than I do. Uh, I can barely get off the ground. Well, we line up on the wall and we kind of go according to to belt rank. And I was kind of in the middle that night. Um, And Sensei walks over to us and he goes, ah, who wants to bang around with the new guy? which means who wants to go spar and exchange punches and kicks with this new guy? And I kind of looked down, um, you know, I'm like, and I could feel Sensei's eyes going up and down the line. And I kind of looked over to the left and everybody to my left had a lower belt rank than me and was smaller than me. And I just looked, I said, there's no way he's gonna put any of those guys in with this guy. And then I looked to the right and all the guys who were more advanced than me Uh, One had an injury and wasn't able to do anything. And the other one was like much older and he didn't really do the sparring anymore. He just kind of trained other people. And at that moment, my heart kind of sunk because I realized it was me. And I felt Sensei's eyes kind of do this and then lock in on me and go, John, why don't you go bang around with the new guy? I thought, oh boy, okay, this guy is bigger He's more skilled than me, he's stronger than he, and he's younger than me. And this could be a problem for me. Um, But then since I said this, he said, instead of doing punches and kicks, let's train with the foam swords. We have these swords that are made of foam. They're kind of like pool noodles, but a little bit stiffer. And uh, we learn some basic techniques and we kind of get out there and just have fun. You know, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen little boys whacking each other with pool noodles. It's a little bit like that, although there's some technique to it. And so I I was much relieved with that because I had a little bit of training with that. I didn't think he had any. And so all of a sudden, 
the playing field got a little more even. And so we grabbed our foam swords and we held them over our heads, kind of circling each other, waiting for the other person to make the first move. And as we're circling each other and have our swords over our head, the new guy, the guy who's better than me and younger than me and bigger than me and stronger than me, lets go of his sword with one hand and he kind of does this to me and like waves his fingers at me like, let's get this on, come on. At that moment, I was like, okay, uh, hold on, Jackie Chan. Um, yes you are overall a better martial artist than I am. You are younger than me. You are stronger than me. You are more skilled than me. But who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I mean, uh, we're not in some movie right now. This is not The Last Samurai. You're not Neo from The Matrix. This is not a fight to the death. For the average person just walking by the dojo and happening to look in, it would look like there were two grown men whacking each other with pool noodles, which is actually kind of what we did for the next minute and a half, and we had fun doing it. But when he gave me that little, I was like, come on, man, who do you think you are? You know, as, as we look at what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus, and what Christians believe about Jesus and what Jesus teaches about himself. I think it's an honest question for us to say, Jesus, who do you think you are? Now, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus spins that question on Simon Peter. And he says to Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says this, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And since that confession for the last 2,000 years, Christians have repeated that as to what they believe about Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, which is what we say in the creed. And as we've even said that for the last 2,000 years, people have gone, really? Like you, you really think that's who Jesus is? You, you really think that he's the Messiah, that God's, He's God's only son. I mean, okay, okay. Uh, many people believe that Jesus never claimed to be God, that he was simply an unbelievable human being. Like he had more skill than anybody, no doubt. Uh, many people believe that he was an expert in ethics. Like when he taught about the way to love people, like no one could match that. Or that he was even a great example of love. And so many people say, Jesus was a great teacher, but Messiah, the son of the living God, come on. But it's so interesting what Jesus says about himself. Even as we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, Jesus follows up Peter's confession by saying, what you, got, what you say about me is right. If you can put it on uh, the next slide with the scripture, one more. Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, because my flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So when he says to Simon, who do you say that I am? And Simon says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, bingo, you got it. And so one of the problems is we can't just say that Jesus is a great teacher. 
Because when we say, Jesus, who do you think you are? Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he can't even be just a great teacher. Jesus taught a lot of things that were hard. Jesus taught uh, uh, about a sexual ethic that most people think is unrealistic. So even if we start there, people go, I don't even agree with this teaching. Jesus taught things like you should sell your stuff and give the money to the poor. But the craziest thing that Jesus taught about himself was who he thought he was, that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so it's not just that Christians say this about Jesus. It's that Jesus thinks this about himself, which makes either, the, either this, you have to deal with what Jesus says about himself, or you have to say he's crazy. The great vocalist Bono from U2 put it this way, who was Christ? And I don't think you're let off easily by saying he's a great thinker or a great philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. He was nuts. Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that a whole millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2000 years, have been touched and have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. Bono is saying that you cannot just say Jesus is a great teacher. You either have to agree with him that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God, or you have to say Jesus is crazy. Jesus is delirious. When we look at Jesus and say, who do you think you are? The answer is clear. Jesus believed that he was Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, our Lord. Today, I wanna unpack for you what that means and then what that means for us. So so let's start with Jesus's claim that he was Christ, God's only son. Now, many people, when they hear the name Christ, they think of it as Jesus's last name, that he was born to Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. And that was his last name. And when we talk about being God's only son, there's a lot of confusion. Most people who are Christians would say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God's only son. But then you go, well, what does that mean? And and we start to go, well, I'm not really sure. Uh, Some people wrongly believe that that means that Jesus is God's creation. That's wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus was never created. He was with God in the beginning. He was part of creating the world. So Jesus was not his God, the Father's creation. Now, some people say, well, God's only son, it means that Jesus is God's kid. And we're getting a little bit closer when we, when we say that, because as we go through the Apostles' Creed, we'll see that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. In other words, Jesus was born by the will of God in Mary. So there's something there He's definitely not God's creation, but even as we get closer, there's something about him being God's kid. But when Jesus says he's God's only son, he means much more than that. He means that he is the king that God has set in place to rule. Jesus thought that he was God's anointed 
an appointed king who was sent to rule over the nations. When we use the term Messiah, that, that's synonymous with Christ. Christ means the Messiah. And Christ is a title that means the anointed one, the chosen one who is set apart by God to rule and reign the nations, the one who would come and save God's people from God's enemies. In Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist is baptizing people and he's baptizing sinners as a baptism for repentance. And Jesus shows up to be baptized with sinners and John the Baptist rightly says, hey, get out of here. This isn't for you. You're the righteous one. You're the anointed one. Um, You don't need to be baptized for sin. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus wants to identify with sinners even though he is sinless. So he goes into the water and is baptized And as he comes up out of the water, everything changes. Something mystical happens with the sky. And the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove to anoint him. To anoint him. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, first of all, we see here this interaction, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit are all present at the anointing of Jesus. And that anointing, we're meant to understand that Jesus has a special relationship with the Father as the King that the Father has set up. He is the King that has been set up to rule. If you'll hang with me, this is why we went back to Psalm 2. If you can put it on Psalm 2, it says, the kings of the earth take their stand And the rulers conspire together against the Lord, that's Yahweh, and his anointed one, or the king that he has set up to rule. God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And the king responds back to God's declaration by telling us what the Lord says to him. The Lord, Yahweh says to the king, you are my son, today I have become your father. See, the way it worked in ancient Israel was that the one who was appointed and anointed as king would become the son of God. It was a promotion into a different kind of relationship with God than anybody else had as the king who was anointed and appointed. So when we ask Jesus, who do you think you are? He says that. I'm that. I'm the king. I'm the one God has set up. The kingdom has come in me. All kings will be judged by how they respond to me. All judges of the earth throughout history will be, responded, will be judged by how they respond to me. Jesus is the rock that the waves of human history would all crash up against. Unless we think that Jesus uh, is taking some sort of head trip here, um, Jesus was continually recognized as the Son of God, the King, not just because of the way he used his power, but because of the way he sacrificed his power. In Mark chapter 15, he's dying on the cross and he breathes his laugh, his last. And the centurion who's watching him die, a centurion would have been someone who oversees 100 men, and they serve Caesar. They called Caesar the son of God. This centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way that Jesus breathed his last and he said, truly this man was what? 
the Son of God. What did he see? As Jesus died, he saw the way that Jesus forgave his enemies while he was on the cross. As he died, he saw the way that Jesus invited the thief to be with him in paradise. As he died, he witnessed the clouds turn dark, the skies get gloomy, and earthquakes happen at the death of Jesus. As he sat there, he watched Jesus pray to the Father. As he sat there, he watched Jesus release his life to death, almost as if Jesus was more powerful than death, not letting death snatch his life away, but instead giving it over. And as the centurion watches all this, he says, this is unbelievable. Surely this man is the one. This man is the son of God. See, it's in Jesus's death and his resurrection that we actually see the king that he is. In Romans chapter one, Paul says this, that it's through Jesus's resurrection that he's appointed to king. And Jesus was appointed to be the powerful son of God. Not God's creation, not God's kid, but God's king. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Prince Charles is about to get coronated as king. It either happened yesterday or it's happening soon. Um, He's going to be the king of England. And there will be some sort of ceremony. And I'm sure he'll have some sort of proclamation as king. Jesus' ceremony for becoming king was when he kicked open the tomb and defeated sin and death and the devil. And his first proclamation uh, as king is this, death is dead. Death is dead. Jesus is king over death. He is the chosen one. His power extends over all. He has been set up as God's king who has been appointed and anointed, the beloved son of God. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that he's God's chosen king as God's only son. It's not just that he's the Messiah. It's also that he is God himself. He's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. In John chapter 20, we read this a couple weeks ago, Thomas says, look, I know you all say that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, but I can't believe it until I touch the holes that are in his hands and I see him face to face. And then Jesus shows up and Thomas sees him and Thomas responds to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, by saying to him, my Lord and my God. And Thomas is not saying like OMG right here. That's that's not his point. His point is that is Yahweh. That is the one true God who has always existed. That is the one God who reigns over the nations, the one with holes in his hands, the one who hung on the cross, the one who defeated death. This is God himself. And here is a perfect opportunity if Jesus is not God to say, whoa, 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 Thomas. I mean, I resurrected from the dead, but I want to clarify for you, I'm not God. But again, he doesn't say that. He pronounces blessing again, just like he did with Peter. Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
Who do you think you are, Jesus? Jesus says, Lord and God. And so even as we think about who Jesus says that he is, the question then comes to us, who do we say that he is? It's clear who Jesus Christ believes he was. He was the Messiah, God's only son, the Lord, God himself. But who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Well, first of all, you are called to believe that Jesus is Lord and God. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online and you're not yet a Christian and you've been kind of told that Jesus never said he was God. That's just something that his followers made up. Uh, Friends, Jesus' followers claim that he was God because Jesus himself made the bold claim that he was God. You can't just categorize him as a good teacher because either he was God or he is crazy. C.S. Lewis famously said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon and you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is why the first Christians, one of their most famous sayings wasn't Jesus saves, although that's true. The famous saying of the first Christians was Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh. He's God. And and that's why that phrase was so controversial because under the Roman Empire, people were forced to choose who is the son of God. Either it's Jesus or it's Caesar. And so when Christians said Jesus is Lord, it was incredibly costly for them. But that's who Jesus is. He is Lord and he is God. Secondly, not just acknowledging he's Lord and God, but listening to him as Lord and God. As as Christians, we are called to listen to him above all voices. Right now, you can go out and you can download a podcast and it'll be your expert on life. It'll give you hot tips on anything you want. Uh, Do we listen to Jesus more than we do the gurus online? In Matthew 17, his closest disciples are taken with Jesus onto a mountain. And there Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. He becomes white. His face is glowing. They are getting a preview of him as the resurrected king, even though he has not yet gone to the cross. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen, listen to him. Here's God saying, listen to him. Listen to me say, listen to him. My my fear is that as Christians, we don't listen. And there's two reasons I think we don't listen. One is because we separate Jesus. The other reason is because we minimize Jesus. By separating Jesus, here's what I mean. We go, I like Jesus, my savior, but I'm a little less keen on Jesus, my Lord. I like this idea of being forgiven all my sins, but I don't really like this idea of submitting to him and rejecting my sins and following him as my king. See, we treat Jesus like the free version of an app. You ever download an app and you're like, there's a free version and there's a paid version. And you're like, I wanna get as much as I can for free, but I don't wanna pay the price. 
I want to get all the features I can, but I don't want to give up any money. We treat Jesus like a free version of the app. And here's the thing, friends. He is both Savior and Lord. You cannot separate him out. Now, make no mistake, Jesus gives himself freely as our Savior, yet at the same time, he calls you to give yourself fully to him as the Lord. You cannot separate him. Because it is by him being God, it is by him being Lord, that he's able to save you and forgive your sins in the first place. Jesus is Savior and Lord, and we cannot separate him out. But then secondly, I think the reason that we reject listening to him is because we minimize him. And here's what I mean. We say to Jesus, I'll hear you out. I'll hear your argument on this, and then I'll consider it, and I'll think about it. Ray Ortland says that in each of our hearts, it's like a boardroom. You can imagine like little imaginary figures sitting around a boardroom in your heart. And there's different representatives. There's someone in, in the boardroom that represents like your social life and your private life. And there's someone else who represents your work self and your sexual self and, and your recreation self. And, and, and we sort of go, hey, Jesus, we want to invite you to be part of the board. Grab a seat. Get some coffee, have a donut, chat it up with the rest of the members of the board. But hey, Jesus, let me just tell you how this works. We've been around here a long time. And so you can give your opinion, but if you could wait for a little bit before you interject anything, these guys around the board, they know what they're doing. So don't speak too soon or too freely. But here's the thing. If Jesus is Lord, you gotta fire the board. You gotta fire the board. I don't mean don't use logic. I do mean you surrender yourself to him. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the one who has the right to run your life. And so when we come to Jesus, it is not just adding Jesus to the board. Rather, what is just as important is what you subtract, what you take out, the idols that you topple over as you invite him into your life. He is the one who all the nations have been given to as his inheritance. He can surely has the wisdom to run your life. And, and let me just say this. If you think that you will do a better job running your life when he's the one who's in charge of the nations, it's not him that's delusional, it's you. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. But, but here's the thing, if we can get that through our thick skulls, that we're not Lord, Jesus is Lord, that we're not God, Jesus is God, that our job, our number one calling in life is to listen to him, we will find that when we bow before him, we are safe. He's in control. We can take refuge in him. We can find great, joy and happiness in letting him be the God that he is. That's why Psalm 2 ends with this strong dichotomy. It, it, it's two paths in the road. Pay homage or worship the son, worship the king that God has installed, or he will be angry and what you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. But here is the other path. All who take refuge in him are happy. Some who take refuge in him experience joy at some point. No, 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 no. All 
who take refuge in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, find true happiness. See, Jesus calls for total allegiance to himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only someone that important can say, you have to deal with me. Come closer. When you bow down, you will find safety and love in me. All who take refuge in me are happy. And as if we didn't need another example, what's so amazing is what happens at the transfiguration. After the disciples hear this booming voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They cower and fall to the ground. They realize who Jesus is, that he is the Lord and he is God, and they are terrified. And rightly, they bow down before him. And then Jesus comes up and he touches him. The God of the universe, the Lord, he touches him. He says, hey, get up. Don't be afraid. I'm here. You're in me. You've taken refuge in me. Make no mistake, I am Lord and I am God. I am the king. But for those who bow down before me, don't be afraid. I've got you. I love you. I'm the Lord who loves. I'm the one who wears the crown but then goes to the cross. I'm the one who can crush my enemies but was crushed by your enemies for you on the cross. I am anointed and I am appointed, but I have atoned for your sins. I am the beloved son, so that when you find refuge in me, you too can become sons and daughters of God. Friends, Jesus Christ is God's only son. He is our Lord. He is our God. And all who take refuge in him Do you believe that today? What about your life would change? Would you relinquish control? Would you confess that you've been trying to be king or queen? Maybe even in your relationship with God, as you bow down, you would hear his words and say, I no longer have to fear because I love him. Let me encourage you. Let these words ring in your heart and mind this week. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in. Please take a minute to rate our sermon podcast. Leaving a review helps other people find us and experience the power of God's Word.